Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. It's great to see you here, and uh, we're singing about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So His Spirit is here, we have freedom today, so sing out and worship Him. Step out of the shadows, step out of the grave. Run into the wild and don't be afraid. Run into wide open spaces, grace is waiting for you. Dance like the weight has been lifted, grace is waiting. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Come out of the dark, just as you are, into the fullness of His love. For the Spirit is here, let there be freedom, let your scars come back to communion come back to the star run into wide open spaces grace is waiting for you dance like the weight has been lifted grace is waiting where the spirit of the lord and shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life's made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. Sing it again. Chains will fall, prison shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life's made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus'
Go ahead and have a seat. Freedom. It's something we cherish in this country. The idea of a free society is embedded into the very core of our nation. Many have died defending it, and many have fought diligently to preserve it. So where has it gone? We've become a nation bound by division, chained by hatred, and consumed by selfishness. There's an epidemic of violence, poverty, brokenness. Does this look like freedom? The Bible tells us we're called to be free, but it also says to use that freedom to serve one another humbly, in love. Maybe that's what we're missing in America. Today, we celebrate Independence Day. Perhaps it's time we recognize that true independence is found only in a lasting dependence on God. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Church. Thank you so much for being here today and spending uh, Independence Day weekend here with us as we worship together. It is our honor and privilege to be here and to worship God uh, together. And so, you know, today as we celebrate uh, our freedom, as we're doing that, tomorrow's 4th of July, of course, and I know we'll probably spend our time with our family and all, so we're celebrating that, but we're also celebrating today, uh, if you are a child of God, then you are a citizen of heaven. So we're celebrating that, and we do that every Sunday here at Peckway Church, and so, uh, and it's uh, just always uh, such a joy to come together on Sunday and to be able to do that. You know, we value uh, that connection and being able to to get to know one another now. And of course, when we're a larger group, it's hard to do that individually. So one way that we are able to do that is through the Gray Connection card. And I'm going to invite you to take that out. It's found inside of your bulletin this morning. Uh, it looks like that. But yeah, inside of your bulletin, you can find that Gray Connection card. Go ahead and begin filling the card out as I'm speaking to you. Online, you're going to find a Connect link uh, in the chat window. And then if this is your very first time with us here at Peckway Church, you can simply take out your mobile phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679. And this simply opens a line of communication uh, for us to be able to chat back and forth with each other. You can also share prayer requests and such uh, through that app, uh, but you can do that on the gray card as well and through the connect link online. And so uh, please take a moment and do that anytime throughout the service today. Well, this morning we are wrapping up our sermon series, Doing Family, and uh, so today we're going to have a great topic that we're ending on, and that is about conflict. We all have conflict in our relationships. If you're human, you're going to have conflict, right? Uh, God's Word even says that we'll have troubles in our life, and so uh, we're going to look at how we can curb that in our families today. And so, but I have a question. I want you to, if you're brave enough, to ask your, or to share with your neighbor, or you can share it with your spouse, and I'm going to have to put my glasses on because I can't see it. But it says, uh, this question for you to, to think about for just a moment and to share with each other is, what are some of the life situations that most quickly cause you to become angry? So I'll say it one more time. What are some of the life situations that most quickly cause you to become angry? So take like 20 seconds and share that, and then we'll come back together. All right. Were you brave enough to share with your neighbor there? So situations that kind of get under our skin, right? So it might not always be family situations, right? It could be when you're driving on the road, some road rage. So, uh, but we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at those situations. How do we handle the stress and the, those conflicts in our family? How should we respond 
when we come into contact with those things, when we rub each other the wrong way, right? So we'll be ready to hear that from Jerry in a little while. Uh, But, you know, it's through God's Word, through spending time with Him, through developing a relationship with Him and looking into His Word that we're able to learn how to be able to handle with not only conflict but many other things in our life. And, you know, and one of the things that the Bible speaks about is joy, how we can have joy in the midst of our trying circumstances, those tests and those trials. And it's not always easy, but if we will just choose and make that conscious choice, or maybe just whisper Jesus' name, then he gives us that joy in spite of those things. So we're going to sing a a new song together again. I introduced it last week, but I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this song again, uh, how we can have joy uh, in our lives through the struggles and the trials that we have. I've got joy in the struggle, I've got peace in the storm, I've got strength in the battle, I don't fear anymore. I'm a child of heaven, and my hope is secure. I've got joy, cause I've got Jesus. He gave me beauty for ashes, turned my life around. Broke my chains and now I dance on solid ground. For all he's done to save me, I will raise my voice. I've got Jesus, so I've got joy. He bore all of my burdens, yeah, my debt has been paid. Then he said to my dry bones, Rise above that grave. I can call him my worship, all the honor and praise. I've got joy, cause I've got Jesus. He gave me beauty for ashes, turned my life around. He broke my chains, and now I dance on solid ground. For all he's done to save me. joy when we choose to focus on Jesus and not our problems, right? So there is joy here in the house of the Lord. So let's continue celebrating and thanking him for the joy we have in him. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He 
opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from the grave. My God still the reason why right because we were the beggars now we're royalty and we were the prisoners now we're running free and we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the house of the lord sing praise that's you let's sing it because we were the beggars now we're royalty and we were the prisoners, now we're running free. And we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Come on. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out. lots to be thankful for when we start counting our blessings, right? When we start thinking of just that one thing, and then God leads us to the next thing that we can be thankful for. Uh, you know, and then one of the things I'm thankful for is prayer, because that's how we have that conversation with God, how we, uh, just like we would with our friends or with our spouse, we talk together. And so there's a very uh, special time of prayer today that I want to invite you to uh, right in between the two services at 1015 today, as we have a group of men and women who are going to be uh, ministering to children through Backyard Bible Schools or VBS throughout this whole next month. So we're going to commission them uh, at 1015. And so if you have the opportunity, would you go and meet these folks so that you can have a face that goes with a name? You can ask them what kind of needs they have. What are they in expecting? What are they anticipating? Who do they know that they need to invite to that God uh, is giving them that opportunity. So maybe they need courage to do that or just that opportunity itself. So 
If you would, take the time to go in between service today at 1015 and pray with those men and women as we do that. So that's just one of the many blessings, the many reasons that we can be thankful. But this next song tells us that there are 10,000 reasons, and we know there's many more. So let's worship the Lord, thanking him for those reasons today. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing Your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy. Yeah. 
Father, we worship your holy name today. We thank you, Father, for your many, many promises, the many good things you bring to our lives. God, may you help us to recall, to remember those things today, Father, that we can say thank you for. Lord, as we think about our families, as we think about our relationships, we know many times that we can get caught up in the emotion of the moment uh, and the things that infuriate us or get under our skin, Father. Uh, Lord, we know that that can quickly make our tempers rise and we can snap at people, we can say things that we regret. And so today as we look at your word, Father, as we see your, uh, your um, uh, for lack of a better word, just uh, recommendation, but it's more than that, God. It's uh, the way that we can live a life that um, will bring honor to you, will bring honor to the people that we love and the relationships that we have, but not only for our loved ones, but those who are, who that we don't have relationship uh, yet, Father, just strangers that we meet. Lord, as I'm reminded from the video that we saw this morning, how in our world, this tension, this strife, these things that make us so angry, Father, would you help us to look to you for love and unity and peace today. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team. And just want to say to Scott and the team, thank you for um, helping us reflect on our independence, not only as a nation, but spiritually. And I really do appreciate, Scott, that you did both of those for us this morning. Um, and, and really in that context, I thought as we wrapped up this series, I really couldn't think of a better topic to talk about than I think a topic that keeps many of us, you know, as, as Americans and even as Christians in bondage, and that's conflict, that's anger. And, and so what I want to do today as we wrap up this series is I want us to look at this issue of how can we curb conflict in our homes? Because I want to suggest to you it is impossible to remove conflict from our homes, because not all conflict is bad. It's, it, what I learned a long time ago, folks, is conflict doesn't destroy a marriage. Conflict doesn't destroy a home. Unresolved conflict does. The reality is we're going to have conflict. We're going to have differences of opinion. It's when we don't resolve it in a healthy way, when we don't resolve it as Christians in a spiritual Christian way, that's when things become destructive. So here's what I want to do this morning, kind of help us get our minds there. I want to turn our attention this morning to one line from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and here's what it says. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I just want to say to you, in light of that statement, I want to suggest to you that one of the keys for you and I to curbing conflict in our lives and our relationships in our homes is this attitude of meekness. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are going, Jerry, that is wildly naive. Maybe you're saying to yourself, maybe you're thinking to me, Jerry, that's incredibly, incredibly simplistic. And I would suggest to you, if you're thinking that way, I respect that. But I would suggest to you, at least I would say, would you consider that maybe the reason you're feeling that way is because you really don't understand the biblical concept of meekness. You see, what I discovered in my life, maybe it's true in your life, before I became a Christian, before I became really someone who was studying God's Word, that when I thought of meekness, what word do you think I thought of? Weakness, that's right. We equate meekness and weakness, but folks, that misses the mark biblically in a wild, wild way. In fact, there are only two people in the Bible referred to as being meek. You know who they were? Moses and Jesus. And I would say any of us that know anything about their life, familiar in any way with their life story, what they did, who they were, none of us would call them weak. None of us would call them wimpy or doormats or somehow a pushover. Instead, we would see them as very strong men, very godly men, but very strong people, very strong men. And the reason for that is because of the biblical definition of meekness. Let me give it to you. Let me give you a working definition. Meekness is nothing more, nothing less than strength under control. Strength under control. And so if you need a mental image, if you really want to get an image to get hold of that idea, then I want you to imagine a stallion that has been saddle broke. 
It's still powerful. It, it, it still has incredible strength, but now that strength is under control. Now it literally has been bridled. It, it can be guided. It can be directed. And so, folks, a good paraphrase, a working paraphrase, I would suggest to you in the context of this morning's message, to G, when Jesus said, happy are the meek, I would encourage you to hear, folks, happy are those who don't overreact to others, who respond appropriately, not inappropriately, or in, in overreactive ways. Now, with that understanding adjustment, hopefully for some of us, for all of us, that I, what I want to do now is just spend the rest of our time looking at how meekness can help you and I curb conflict in our relationships, because the reality is we all have them to one degree or another, sometimes healthy, sometimes unhealthy, but we all have conflict in our home. So here's the first way meekness can help us, and that is it can help us by leading us to respond gently when others disappoint us. I might say gently instead of judgmentally. It helps us respond gently. Take a look at what Paul writes. He says to the Romans, accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment on disputable matters. In other words, the principle Paul is getting at is this, folks, that we can walk hand in hand without seeing everything eye to eye, even on spiritual issues. Which means what Paul wants us to understand, the practical takeaway, folks, is this, that, that you and I can, can show love, we can show care, we can show concern and compassion to those we disagree with, even when we disagree on spiritual issues. Now, I, I would love to digress there and talk about how the Christian community has reacted and, and acted during this whole pandemic, but we'll move on. But folks, the reality is, even when we disagree on spiritual issues, we can still walk hand in hand. We can still demonstrate and be gentle with one another. We can demonstrate meekness. That's why Paul could say this, if a person is trapped in some sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted, carry each other's burdens. Now in light of that, here's what I want us to ask ourselves, and I truly mean ask ourselves. Don't answer it for your spouse or your parents or your peer or your pastor. Answer it for yourself. Ask yourself this question, how do I react when a family member speaks or acts in hurtful or possibly even harmful ways. How do you react when that happens? When they act inappropriate, when they act in a hurtful or harmful way, do you say to yourself, or maybe even to them, I'm ashamed of you? How could you be so stupid? I can't imagine how anyone would ever act that way. Do you find yourself experiencing some measure of joy over the fact that they're blowing it? I ask those questions, folks, because we need to answer, answer them. Because, folks, if, if we do any of those things, if we respond in that way, if we feel any of that bubbling up within us, then we need to know that meekness is, is absent from our life, at least in the measure it needs to be. Because meekness leads us to respond gently, not judgmentally, when someone else makes a mistake, when someone else blows it, when someone else sins which I think helps us understand, I know at least helps me understand why, of all the things that irritated Jesus, one of the, at the very top of the list was when self-righteous people beat up other people instead of lifting them up. When, when he talked about how you, you tie loads upon their backs that you yourself won't even lift a finger to help carry. It frustrated Jesus when we responded to people disappointing us, you know, judgmentally instead of gently. So the first way that you and I can help curb conflict is to follow the example of Jesus in our homes whenever people disappoint us, that instead of responding judgmentally, we respond gently. Let me give you the second way. The second way meekness could help you and me curb conflict in our homes is by leading us to respond tenderly when other people disagree with us. And I would say tenderly as opposed to temperamentally, and I'll tease that out for you folks. You know and I know, we all recognize at least ostensibly, that it's impossible to please all people all the time, right? We recognize that. We acknowledge that. And it's just practically, it's true, because even if we try to do it, what happens is I set out to try to make person A happy, and in the process of doing that, invariably, I irritate or aggravate person B or C. Do you know what I'm talking about? We cannot make all people happy all the time. And for that reason, one of the surest tests of maturity, spiritual, emotional, relational maturity, folks, is how we respond when other people quarrel with us and fight with us. Because in those moments, we are going to respond in one of three ways. Let me give you the first way. It's not in your outline, but you might want to write it down. We all know this. The first way that many of us, especially as Christians, respond to when someone disagrees with us is we retreat in fear. 
And folks, yet I want to say to you that meekness does not mean that you and I need to cave on our convictions. It doesn't mean that somehow we need to become a doormat. That, that we need to be, allow ourselves to be mistreated or abused in, in some unhealthy way. In fact, I would suggest to you that is not meekness in any shape or form. That's weakness. That might even be wimpiness. But folks, the first way we're often tempted to react when, and respond whenever we're, when someone disagrees with us is we retreat in fear. The second is just the opposite. The other end of the pole is we react in anger. And again, just like the first, folks, I would suggest to you that being hostile, being aggressive, you know, being verbally caustic to another person is no shape or form of being meek. We can't square that with the example of the life of Jesus. Well, let me give you the third and final way that we ought to respond. And I believe we see this repeatedly in the life of Jesus. Is instead of retreating to fear, reacting to anger, instead we are to respond in love. We're to respond in love. Take a look at what Solomon wrote. Solomon says, A gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh word stirs it up. And James in the New Testament writes, Wherever there is jealousy, selfish ambition, there is disorder. But wisdom from above is pure, peaceful, gentle, and friendly. Do you see the contrast? It's an amazing contrast. But what I want us to notice there is just like Jesus, what Solomon and James are doing is telling us that when others disagree with us, when others come in conflict with us, instead of retreating in fear or reacting in anger, we need to respond in love. In other words, in the context of this morning's message, we need to demonstrate meekness. We need to demonstrate the character of Jesus. Well, let me give you a third way. Meekness can help you and I curb conflict in our homes and in our relationships and at work and the community, wherever we find ourselves. And that is by leading us to remain teachable when others correct us. It's to remain teachable instead of unreachable when others correct us. And the reason we can do that when we're meek is because as a meek person, we recognize we don't have all the answers. We don't know it all. We recognize that. We acknowledge that. Take a look at what James said. He said, let everyone be quick to listen, but slow to use his tongue and slow to use his temper. Now, if you were here back when we went through the study of James a few months ago, then you remember and you know that I share with you my belief that in that one verse, James gives us a strategy for not only taming our tongue, but also curbing conflict in our home. Because he basically is saying, if we do these first two things, this third one will be much easier to do and to accomplish. In other words, if you and I will be quick to listen and slow to speak, then it's, it's much easier for us to not lose our temper. And the reason why, again, is in this context is because what we're choosing to do in that moment by listening, by being slow to speak, is we're choosing to be teachable. We're choosing to acknowledge the fact that maybe I don't know everything that's going on in this situation. Maybe I don't know everything that's going on in their life or what prompted this attitude or this action. And so we're teachable. So again, let me encourage you, as I've encouraged myself all, all week in this context, we need to ask ourselves, when my spouse, when my parents, if you're living at home or maybe you're caring for an for a, for an apparent as an adult, when my spouse, my parents, my kids, whoever it is, makes a constructive suggestion to me, how do I receive it? Do I get defensive? Do I say to myself, maybe even say to them, who are you to say that to me? Who do you think you are? Or do we consider the suggestion regardless of its source? Folks, I would suggest to you that if you and I are truly developing this attitude, this beatitude of meekness, then we will consider the suggestion because we recognize in that humility and in that meekness that we don't have all the answers. We don't know all there is to know. And that's why I know many of you would acknowledge the same thing. As I've thought about, I've had the privilege of studying at the college level, the master's level, and now the doctoral level, and I've, the smartest people across all those institutions I've ever met, the smartest and wisest people, are also, surprisingly to me at one point, were also the most eager and willing to learn from anyone. Because again, those men, those women, they recognize that they can learn from anyone if they just ask the right questions, that they recognize that they did not have all the answers, which completely makes sense when you look at the next verse on your outline from Solomon, because Solomon said this, conceited people can never become wise, but intelligent people learn easily. 
So again, let me encourage you, as I've asked myself this week, ask yourself. So ask, am I open to new ideas? Am I open to change? You see, if we're truly meek, genuinely growing in this, this attitude of meekness, this Christ-likeness, folks, then we will remain teachable because, as I've said, we know we don't have all the answers. And again, we know we can learn anything from others if we'll just ask them the right questions. And, and here's where I learned that. Here's what Solomon said. He said, counsel in the heart of man is like water in a deep well. But notice this next phrase. But a man of understanding draws it out. How do we draw it out? By asking the right questions. By having a teachable attitude. So listen to me, folks. Meek people learn to ask good questions. In fact, they don't lead with statements in a conflict. They lead with questions because they recognize they want to be willing to learn. They want to be teachable even in that context. So moms and dads, let me just meddle a little bit as we talk about family. Candidly, honestly, can we say we're willing to learn from our kids? We can do that, right? We know that, right? I mean, I'll just tell you, and it just wasn't my kids are older now as grown young adults, but even when they're little, all through my life and their lives, my kids have been teaching me things. Moms and dads, are we willing to learn from our children? Let me keep meddling. Husbands and wives, are we willing to learn from one another? Or let me really ratchet it up, from the in-laws. Are we willing to take that teachable attitude with our spouse, with our in-laws. And let me say this, whether, whatever your stage in life is, your status in life, your station in life is this, let me ask you this question when it comes to meekness, when it comes to, to being teachable. Are we willing to learn from our critics? Are we willing to learn from our critics? Some of you know my very first church, I went from Kansas City to a little town of 2,000 counting house pets in Kentucky. And in Kentucky, I had two retired pastors. One of them was 93 years old, and he was known in the community. I mean, throughout the community, is Brother Root. Wonderful man. Little guy, about 110 pounds. Wonderful, wonderful godly man. But he and I would go fishing offing. That's how I ended up with the fish in the sink. From those of you here a few weeks ago, I was out fishing with Brother Root. But I remember one day when we were fishing, Brother Root looking at me and said, Jerry, learn to listen to your critics. He said, even if they're just trying to be ugly, even if they're just, and he says, I know, some are just being mean. But if you listen to him, God can still use that experience to shape you, to grow you, to develop you. So as difficult as it is, I remember Brother Root, he called me little preacher. Kind of ironic. He said, you know, little preacher, learn to listen to your critics. In other words, what Brother Root was teaching me, this wonderful 93-year-old saint of God, is Jerry B. Meek, be teachable. And so, folks, that's, that's the third way that you and I can truly, truly begin to curb the conflict in our life by simply learning to be teachable. And I want to tell you, Brother Root, from my opinion, was spot on because Solomon said this, whoever listens to correction is honored. Now, what he didn't say there, and I think it's important to notice, folks, Solomon did not say whoever listens to welcome and wanted correction is honored and we all get that but he says whoever listens to correction period is honored and so what I want to say to us and I, I say this to you as I say it to myself is folks we need to ask ourselves do I want to bring honor to myself more importantly to my family and my God by being teachable or do I want to bring dishonor and pain and hurt to myself to my family and my God by being unteachable now, I know, in your best moment in mind, folks, we, we, would, we would answer, I'd rather curb the conflict. I'd rather save the pain and accept the correction. And that's the right answer. But, folks, here's what we need to understand. For that to consistently happen in your life and mine, we must cultivate meekness. We must let God do that work in our lives because, folks, it is the only way you and I consistently accept correction and be teachable because meek people are teachable people. But let me give you the final way that meekness could help you and I curb conflict in our home, and that is by leading us to act rather than react when somebody hurts us. In some ways, folks, I know this one might be the most difficult one of all when it comes to conflict in our homes and in our relationships and in our lives. 
But take a look at what Paul writes. He says, do you not repay evil for evil? Instead, overcome evil with good. Now, you've heard me say this many, many times before, and you'll probably hear me say it again, but here's a fact of life, folks. We will be hurt by other people. But I want to follow that up with another fact of life, and that is we can choose how we respond to those who hurt us. And remembering that we possess that freedom is absolutely crucial in your life and mine. And the reason why, folks, is because our instinct, apart from God's work and presence and power in our life, our instinct when we're hurt is to what? To retaliate, to seek revenge, to look for our pound of flesh. In fact, I would suggest to you, and I've watched it, that some of us are at our absolute most creative when we're trying to even the score. When we're trying to come up with ways to get back at someone else that has hurt us. But listen to me, choosing to offer and extend forgiveness, even when it's not asked for, folks, is truly, as Jesus modeled for us, is to act. It's not to react. Booker T. Washington, most of us recognize that name, that incredible, brilliant, great black scientist of our American history, faced prejudice throughout his life. But he said something I want to share with you this morning. He said this, he said, I will never allow another man to control or ruin my life by making me hate him. Now, folks, it takes meekness to not only say that, but more importantly, to live that out in your life and mine. That, that doesn't come by willpower. That, that doesn't come by simply deciding we're going to be that kind of woman or that kind of man. That takes the power of God. So listen, when you and I say things like this, when we say, you know what, you make me so mad. You make me feel so sad. You make me feel so bad about myself. What we're admitting, whether we recognize it or not, folks, is what we're admitting is we're letting someone else in that moment control our emotions. We're letting someone else control our emotions. And in the same way, folks, when when we choose to retaliate to a hurt, when we choose to try to seek revenge, when we seek, seek and try to settle the score over a hurt or an offense, folks, we are surrendering control of our life to the very person that we put in our crosshairs. To the very man or woman who we, in that moment, feel so negatively about. Because in that moment, what we're choosing to do is to react rather than act. And that's why one of the qualities you see when you, when you truly see somebody who is meek is that person chooses to forgive offenses. To offer forgiveness instead of retaliating. And by doing so, they literally are embodying what Solomon says in this next verse. Here's what Solomon writes. He says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Now, folks, that's profound. Solomon's saying there is a far greater power that could be at work in your life and in my life than simply getting even and seeking revenge. So ask yourself, what controls my emotions? Is it my circumstance? Or is it my character? Is it my Christ-like character? What controls me? And regardless of how you answer that for yourself, here's what I would say. Here's kind of a check. Here's how you can know if you're being honest with yourself. If you find yourself habitually saying, he makes me so mad. That makes me so upset. She makes me feel so terrible about myself. Then understand, folks, regardless of what you're saying, meekness in this moment is not controlling your life. Your circumstances, rather than your choices, are controlling you. And yet the wonderful thing that we understand as Christians, when we talk about independence and freedom, folks, is we have the freedom through the presence and the power of God to choose to forgive those who hurt us. That's why meek people are self-controlled people. They're self-controlled people. One of my favorite stories, some of you know, others don't, it doesn't matter, but, but I am a World War II buff. And I'm sure part of that's the fact that I lost two uncles in World War II. But one of the stories that comes out of that that I'll never forget, that is so profound for me, is about a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Some of you recognize the name. He was an Austrian psychiatrist. And because of his opposition to the war, he literally was put, placed in, in Auschwitz, in the concentration camp by the SS. And one day he survived, his, his family didn't, but one day in reflecting on his experience, he said, I had a revelation. 
And I want you to read the revelation. I want you to hear the revelation, rather. I want to read it to you. You said, they, they took my wife, they took my children, they took my clothes, they even took my wedding band. But as I stood there naked before the SS, I realized they could never take my freedom to choose how I respond to them. That man was not a Christian. But he recognized this freedom. Now, folks, as inconvenient and even convicting as that truth is, we need to recognize it is a truth. That while we cannot and often cannot choose what happens to us, we can always choose what happens in us. Of how we respond to that hurt, how we feel about that hurt. So again, we need to ask ourselves, how am I choosing to respond to the people who hurt me? Because the fourth key for you and I to curbing conflict in our homes, in our relationships, in our lives, is simply self-control. Now, I know I say that. And I know some of you are thinking just like I did when I first heard that many years ago. I thought to myself, oh great, that leaves me out. Because I can't control my reactions. And I just want to say to you, if you're there today, first of all, I, I do understand, but here's what I would say to you. If that's true, that might be true of you today, but it doesn't have to be true of you forever. Do not believe that lie. Because see, folks, you as a follower of Jesus have the Spirit of Christ. And Paul told Timothy this, the Spirit that God has given us does not make us timid. Instead, His Spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control. Now, let me just net that out for us, folks. I think it's self-explanatory, but I want to make any assumptions. Folks, when you and I invite Jesus into our life, when we ask him to come into our lives, he has a guarantee that he did that work, that he came in, he places his Holy Spirit in our lives. And folks, his Holy Spirit in our life, Paul is telling us, the Spirit through Paul is telling us that he can help us live a self-controlled life. That it is possible for us to control our reactions, which means the key to you and I controlling our reactions and our responses when others hurt us, when others disappoint us, when others disagree with us, when others correct us, folks, is to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us moment by moment. To live, as you've heard us say over and you've heard it sung, folks, to live in the power of Spirit. And honestly, that in itself is the essence of what it means to live a meek life. Meekness, folks, is about you and I letting our head, our hands, and our hearts come under the presence and the power and the love of Jesus. And when that's true in your life, and when that's true in my life, you know what happens? The conflict in our lives and our home decreases, and the happiness in our lives and our homes increases, just like Jesus said. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to invite those of you who want to to pray this prayer in your heart. Would you say right now, in light of all that we've learned from God's Word today, would you just say, Jesus, I need your Holy Spirit in my life. I need your Holy Spirit in my life because I need the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I need the love. I need the joy. I need the peace. I need the patience. I need the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness. And most of all, God, I need the gentleness and I need the self-control that your spirit can put in my life because I know there is no ability in myself to produce them in myself. Now, having said that and prayed that, I just want to just pause for a second and say to you, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, then that's where you need to start today. Because you see, we receive the fruit of the Spirit when we receive the Holy Spirit in our life, and we don't receive the Holy Spirit into our lives until we receive Jesus into our life. And so if you've never invited Jesus in your life, you've never done that before, then start there right now. Just say, Jesus, I need and I want you in my life. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that have pushed you and crowded you out of my life. Forgive me for those things. 
Forgive me for those things so that you can and will put your spirit in my life. I'm going to just fall quiet for a moment or two and just give you space so that you can just say that to him in your own words. Now, if you're praying, continue to pray, but I just want to keep moving you forward and saying to you folks, this is where things really get exciting because if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then you need to understand that not only has Jesus come into your life, but his spirit has come into your life. He, he has put the Holy Spirit in your life. And so I just want to encourage you right now to just say, say, spirit, when my family members disappoint me, help me to be gentle and not judgmental. Help me to respond like Jesus. Spirit, when, when my family members disagree with me, help me to be tender and not defensive or argumentative. When my spouse, my husband, my wife, my parents, my kids, my in-laws correct me and offer constructive suggestions, help me to be teachable. And then we just say, Spirit, when they hurt me, and it's going to happen, whether intentionally or unintentionally, but it's going to happen, help me to react with love and forgiveness rather than anger and resentment. Just say to him, oh, Spirit, in short, I'm just asking you to make me meek like Jesus and like Moses because I know my willpower and my resolve aren't enough to turn our house into a home. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word and all that it has taught us about what it looks like to do and to be a family in healthy and constructive ways. As we close out this series, Father, I simply ask you to help all of us let those principles live out in our lives. Help us to what we've learned these last eight weeks to apply them in our lives so that our homes can be more fully a reflection of your perfect and good plan for our family. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so today we've talked about how we can respond uh, to the conflict that we all experience in our relationships. But we don't have to continue that negative pattern uh, that, and that lends itself to creating more strife in our lives. And so this morning, I want to invite you to, to take a step toward developing healthy relationships and growing in your spiritual journey through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have two things to ask of us today. First, I want you to look again at those four principles that Jerry just spoke on this morning and think about which one that you need help with applying in your life. Maybe it's how you respond to conflict or uh, maybe you struggle with becoming defensive uh, or reacting. And so if you're willing, I'm going to invite you to write on your gray card this morning which area it is that you need help with. And our committed staff, uh, our staff is committed to praying with you um, as well as some other folks uh, that, that privately do that. So you can share that just uh, that way or if you want a larger group, uh, the church to pray along with you. I know that's a very private thing. So uh, just feel comfort in knowing that if you share it with that small group, it will stay within that. But we all need help walking through those things and that's what the, the 
Christian body of Christ is for. So if you're willing, would you write that on your card this morning? You can do that online as well. I'll ask our host to put that connect link in the chat window again uh, so that you can do that as, as well. Um, Second, we have a couple of resources that I want to give away this morning to you guys. I have two books. Um, We're going to see them on the screen here. So, but the first is Crucial Conversations, uh, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. And uh, this book is great because uh, I would say when we're talking, especially to our family, the stakes are high, right? Uh, But in any relationship. So this book can help you prepare for uh, high-stakes situations. It can help transform anger uh, and hurt feelings into powerful dialogue. It makes it safe to, uh, to talk about almost anything and to be persuasive and not abrasive. So a really great book. Uh, I've read through that book, uh, and it's, it's a great way to have those hard conversations sometimes. And the second book is by uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. You might be familiar with The Five Love Languages. He's the one who wrote this book, and it's Anger, Handling a Powerful Emotion in a Healthy Way. And uh, this book just kind of helps you walk through things like recognizing the difference between what is good anger and what is bad anger. Uh, how you can, you know, it can motivate positive change when you're dealing with those kind of things. Or if you have resentment that's been long-standing, this book's going to help you walk through that. Or teaching your children how to handle anger. So some really great things. So the way you can do that is you, you'll just write on your card this morning the word resource. I wish I could give this book to everybody here today, but we'll draw a name for each of those books. Uh, and then if you want to know more about those, just simply, you can also just put on there, I want to know more about those resources, and we can get that out to you. Um, but you can do that online as well. So thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you for being with us through this series. We're looking forward to a great new series starting next week, so make plans to come. That's there in your bulletin. Uh, you can find out more information there. So thanks again, and I hope to see you next week. You're dismissed.